Amen. All right, well, you have your notes here this morning. Go ahead and turn to Song of Solomon, chapter 3, or chapter 6, I'm sorry. Song of Solomon, chapter 6. And we are going to be talking, I've entitled this lesson this morning, Your Extraordinary Spouse. And uh, definitely some of you may say amen to that. Brother Steve, I have an extraordinary spouse. What's that? <laughs> yeah, I said notes are in the bulletin. Yep. That's what you're trying to say? Let everybody know that the notes are everybody notes are in the bulletin for the lesson this morning. Thank you, babe. I appreciate that. And this is on? This on. Okay, great. Alright, so if you found your place there in uh, Song of Solomon chapter six, I'm gonna read verse three and then we'll skip down to verse eight, nine, and ten. Okay, so verse three says uh, and this is the Song of Solomon is a poetic uh, book of the Bible. It is a conversation, and it is two people. Uh, of course, by the inspiration of God, but I believe Solomon recorded this. But this is a conversation between his one of his lovers, the Shulamite woman, and King Solomon. And so back and forth. It's, sometimes it's hard to you know see who's talking. You know, because it just it just switches. It doesn't have the dialogue and quotations. You know, Solomon said this, and Shulamite woman said this. But uh, just the verses prior, it's, this is the Shulamite woman talking about Solomon, and she says, "I am my beloved's, beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He feedeth among the lilies." And then, if you skip down to verse eight, now this is Solomon talking to the Shulamite woman, and he said, uh, talking about the Shulamite woman, and he says, "There are three score queens, which score is twenty, so there's sixty queens, three score queens, and four score concubines and virgins without number. So, sixty queens, forty concubines and virgins without number." But he says in verse nine, "My dove, my undefiled, is but one." She is the only one of her mother. She is the choice one of her that bare her. The daughter saw her and blessed her. Yea, the queens and the concubines, and they praised her. Who is she? Now, ladies, look at this. Imagine if you're, just picture your husband saying this to you, okay? Who is she that looketh forth as the morning? Ah, she's, she's as beautiful as the morning. Fair as the moon. Clear as the sun. I got a kick out of it. And terrible as an army with banners. Okay, now it's not like, you know, oh, she's terrible. You know, like looking at her in the morning, oh, she's terrible. But just if you can picture this, you know, Solomon, he would go into battle and and um, and he would he would face these armies. And some of them were much greater than Israel. And as he would see all those horse horsemen, and those warriors, and you can, you know, being in front of a of an army and going, whoa, like. Wow. As he's looking at this, his bride here, and he's going, wow. She's as, uh, she looks like, she looketh like the morning. She's fair as the moon, clear as the sun, and terrible as an army with banners. And what these, the Shulamite woman and, and King Solomon are saying, they're both saying, she's saying, he is mine and I'm his. We're the only one for each other. And he is saying, of all the queens, of all the, the concubines, of all the princes, 
She is the one. And your spouse is the only one. As we said, there is no other option. Yes, based as and pastor has been talking, you know, once you make that commitment, once you make that vow, there is no other option. But think about God has ordained your spouse for you. He made that person, he husband, he made your wife extraordinary specifically for you. He knew before you were even born, before you even saw her for the first time, before you said I love you for the first time, before you stood on that wedding altar and you said your vows, God had already made that spouse specifically for you. Vice versa, uh, wife, she, he made your husband specifically for you. When we, um, when we first talked about past, talked to pastor about getting involved and wanting to do a certain ministry and we brought up about wanting to really invest in young couples and through about a year, a little over a year ago, God just, our marriage was on the rocks. If you, if I could borrow that term, but just very, very rough and through that, God just taught us so many things about marriage, about um, about children. I mean, uh, my wife bought like this stack of books and and read through them and just would share with me different things that God was teaching her through the Bible, through those books, and just so many things. And so when Pastor, you know, said, "Hey, I'm wanting to start this young couples class. Would you help me with it?" We were on board, and uh, so he asked us to pick out a name and pick out a logo. And so we came up with. With different names, uh, we had the Propel Young Couples, Growing Together, um, uh, Glorious Love, uh, the Loved uh, spelled out. It was an acronym, Living Our Vows Every Day. And so Vanessa mostly came up with the names, and then I was, you know, I wanted to come up with a logo for, uh, I spent like a whole afternoon. She went away to the store, and I ca- and she came back, and, you know, I didn't, I didn't have my, I didn't have a laptop. I didn't have it. So I took my kids' crayons and I literally drew, you know, spent like a whole afternoon trying to draw these logos to come, you know, to symbolize each of those names. And then I got home and I showed them to her and she was, she's like, these are nice, but like it was crunch time, like a month before the class was going to start. And she's like, we don't have anybody in the church that can like take this and like graphically draw it and, you know, make it look professional he's like we can't just scan the crayon you know the coloring book into the computer and just use that and so we spent another oh into the wee hours of the morning on uh, on the computer trying to find clip art and this sort of thing to come close to what I had depicted and I was I was giving her a hard time about it. it was it was definitely one of those intense times of fellowship as Pastor Trout would always call him and uh but we came across we had extraordinary love, and I had drawn some. I was trying to configure the uh, an E and an L together to make a heart sort of a thing. And then we came across the two fingerprints, and I was like, that's it. That's, that's like, and our class motto, and, and again, my wife came up with this, but it's on the front of your bulletin, so if you have that, read with it. Uh, you don't have to read along with me, but look at this. It says, two fingerprints, no two fingerprints are the same. And no two marriages are the same. But in every marriage, two identities form a unique union with the capacity, the potential, if you would, for extraordinary love. And that's a perfect picture 
the two fingerprints coming together. That's a perfect picture of what God does in marriage. He takes two different people from two different backgrounds, two different circumstances, and brings them together to form a union that has the potential for love. So therefore, your spouse is, is different from you. If you haven't noticed that, if you haven't figured that out already, your spouse is very different from you. And your spouse is very different. Uh, now, you may sh- share some common interests, which is good, but they are still different from you. And with differences comes the potential for either harmony or Hiroshima. You know, poof, you know, it just blows up. You know, your ho- home can blow up. And we can look at couples that, you know, they have so much in common and, and they just, you know, they just blend well together. And we'll look at them and go, oh, that, that was a match made in heaven. Well, to be honest, every couple here this morning, if you're married, this, it's, you believe that the spouse that you're married to is God's will for your life. That is a match made in heaven. No matter what differences and what similarities you, you share, every single marriage is a match made in heaven because God made that spouse specifically for you. And while it is a good thing to have, as I said, common interests, God made a spouse different for three extraordinary reasons. First of all, he made you different from each other to complete each other. To complete, not to compete. Okay? So complete, not to compete. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 2. We'll look at the very, very first couple, very first marriage that God Institute that God created, Adam and Eve. And we see here in verse uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 21, it says, And the Lord God and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. Let me see. Yeah, I got those right there. Okay. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Go back to verse uh, 18 uh, of the same chapter, and it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man shall be alone, I will make him and help me. So we have here Adam and Eve. We know that when God created them, there was no sin. There was, um, there was no problems. This, the earth was perfect. He had created this perfect man, Adam, out of the dust of the ground. And yet with this perfect man without sin, God said, looked at him and says, there's something missing. Adam needs something. It says, for the very first time, every time God created something, every after every day, he would say, he looked at it and said that it was good, that it was good, that it was good, day one, two, and three. But then after he created Adam and he started to see Adam, he would name the animals and he looked at him and he says, it's not, it is not good that man should be alone. It's the very first thing that said God said it was not good that man should be alone. And so we have this perfect man, Adam, that needs a help me. I did a study on this word, help me. It actually, those two words come from one Hebrew word, which says, which is, hold on a second. There we go. And it's not, it's, of course, has the different figures in Hebrew, but you pronounce it azer. This Hebrew word azer comes from the root word azer. 
And this means to surround, to protect, to aid, or to help. So it gives us a, a di- this help meet. So many times I would think you read help meet and, oh, Adam needed a helper. And that's what it means. It is a helper, but not in the sense that we would think as far as like an help meet. You realize Adam and Eve, if I could be candid, there was no laundry to do. <laughs> so Adam, so God did not create Eve to do Adam's laundry. They, she didn't have to cook. They just went to a tree and picked off fruit and ate it. There was no house to clean, vacuum the carpet. I mean, they lived in the garden. There was, it was perfect temperature. No mosquitoes biting it. They, they just slept outside. So God created Eve as a helpmeet, as an aid, not a maid. And this word, the, the word azer, the two times that it's only translated helpmeet is in these two times in Genesis chapter 2 talking about Eve for Adam. Nineteen other times when the word azer shows up in the Bible, it is talking about how God is Israel's help in a time of battle. Or a shield is another, um, or it's seen, flip over your word, uh, we see this in Psalms chapter 115. Psalms chapter 115. This is just one example. 115. Or not 115. 115. Psalms 115, and in verse 9, 10, and 11, it says, O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Verse 11 again, ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Many times you'll see this help, this word azir, and shield together, talking about God. Ladies, yes, later on in the Bible, we, we don't want to, I don't want to discredit the, the woman's role in the home. God says the woman is to be the keeper at home. But God instituted, God created the woman for the wife, for the man, not her primary goal is to make sure the laundry's done. Meals on the table when he gets home from work, and the house is clean. God's number one purpose for creating Eve was to surround Adam, to protect him. Now, I don't mean like, you know, you go home and you say, hey, honey, give me the shotgun. I'm the protector of this home now, you know, like, not like that, but as a defense, as someone who stands by his side against the enemy. And it made sense to me why it don't mean that's why the serpent beguiled Eve. Eve was Adam's shield. And if the serpent could get to Eve, he knew he could get to Adam. So ladies, it's very, it puts a whole new perspective on, wow, when I pray for my husband, I am intercede, I am his help me. When I pray for my husband, when I pray for my home, when I pray for my family, this is, this is the, 
the reason why God created me for him is to be his helpmeet, to intercede, to help. That's why many times um, my wife on countless occasions through ministry, through just being out in public, you know, some another woman will do something or say something and I'll think nothing of it and she'll say to me later, I don't like that. I didn't like how that she said that to you. And I'm like, said what? She's like, she was flirting with you. Or she was, you know, I was standing right there. I don't, or stay away from this person. I don't, this one, I don't like how she, you know, how she carries herself. And those guys were like, what? I didn't, I didn't even notice. She is your helpmeet. She is that shield. She is that defense as your helpmeet to, She's looking out for, she's being vigilant. So don't discredit that, men. Don't discredit when God has given your wife an intuition to, she made you, she made her different from you to notice those things, to watch out. She is, as your help me, different that way. So Adam needed a completer. He needed somebody to uh, complete him. Now, on the flip side, to compete, if you're still in Genesis, or I told you to turn over to Psalms, I'm sorry, I should have, told you to hold your place in Genesis, but um, you don't have to turn here, but uh, yeah. Genesis chapter 3. Now it's after Eve has partaken of the forbidden fruit and um, it says, and, and the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Verse 9, I'm sorry. Um, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman, the woman who thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. So it's like a chapter before, Adam's like, you know, she's bone my bone, we are one flesh. And then, then sin comes and it's like, she didn't, don't, yeah, I, I took it, God, but I mean, she took it first, you know. Adam was putting down his wife that he just a chapter ago had praised and cleaved to. And before we get married, we look for every good reason to marry our spouse. But after marriage, we struggle to find a reason to stay married. Because we're magnifying these differences. We magnify the good before we begin to magnify the bad. This often happens when our spouse points out a flaw. As you marry and you get closer and you get to know each other, you start to notice the, uh, the mistakes or the flaws in them. And often one spouse will point out a flaw in the other. And the one that's being accused gets all flustered, gets all, you know, you know, defensive and they have their little spout and then after that the spout that was the spouse that was accused that had the flaw pointed out now they're looking for the other spurt like now you got a flaw i got you know we got to even the score here now and so rather than uh so now it becomes a, a witch hunt back and forth of where's their flaw and as soon as i see it i'm gonna catch it and call it out on them and we miss out on when we were dating, we were looking for all the good things that we liked about that person. Counteractive to 
keeping it to com- to realize that your spouse completes you instead of competing with them, keep your pride in check. Keep your pride in check. Pride will say, I don't need you. We'll say, I was just doing fine on my own before we got married. I don't need you. And that's a lie. Because God made that spouse to complete you. You you do need that, your husband. You do need your wife. Because God made them specifically for you to complete you. Realize that you are not the perfect spouse. But if you and your spouse have a common goal of becoming more like Christ and helping each other become like Christ, he will perform his perfect work in you. So we have the complete versus compete. Secondly, God made you different to complement, not to contradict. When uh, I was in college, my, uh, my one room, uh, dorm mate, his mom worked for Starbucks for a warehouse. And, or no, she just worked for Starbucks at a store. And so they would get free bags of coffee every week. Well, she would put it in a care package, put it in a box, and send it to, to him at college. And he made it for me one time, and, and he was a real real big coffee drinker, probably one of the guys that got me addicted to coffee. But he just, and I, I spruce, I um, doctor up my coffee, I, I put sugar, I put creamer in it, but he was convinced that Starbucks, because it was Starbucks, like the premium coffee, you know, you didn't need sugar and creamer. And so he brewed a cup for me. He's like, you got to taste this. You know, this is a new bean that came out or a new uh, brew or whatever that they had, flavor of coffee. So I tried it. I was like, man, this stuff, oh, this is awful. It's bitter. Like, and most of Starbucks coffees, if you drink, it's, it's bitter. And he said, no, 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 no. He said, Starbucks, they make their coffee and they'll have on the bag that it pairs well with this. Like, this coffee tastes good with citrus-flavored stuff. Or this coffee tastes good with this sort of thing. And so you drink the coffee and you eat the food together and the flavors complement each other. The bitter out, the bitter balances out the sweet and the sweet bitter balances out the bitter. And like, if you've ever taken your wife to Olive Garden, you'll see on the menu, you know, like they'll have this entree it pairs well with some sort of wine. Now, I never tried that, okay? Don't miss it. But there are certain foods... Or maybe you've watched the Food Network, and my wife and I would always, we would watch a lot of Chopped. And um, they open up the basket, and there'll be something that is very weird flavored. Either it'll be really salty, or it'll be really sweet. And those chefs will know what kind of food will need they'll need to balance out that flavor that's going to just overwhelm the, overwhelm the judges. And so they try to take these different flavors, bitter, sweet, salty, blend them together to make a on or make food that just mm, just melts in your mouth god made you different maybe one of you is bitter and one of you is sweet or salty or whatever but god made you different to complement each other to come together in a sweet marriage to balance each other now don't try and figure this out and don't try and don't and don't start a uh an intense time of fellowship on the way home. Well, I know who the bitter one is. <laughs> but for his, my wife, she is she is a type A personality. I mean, she. I mean, if you saw her this, you see her every Sunday. Like 
this is where this is the she has the bulletins laid out on the table she has this laid out this is something you know this goes here this goes there and uh and she's she's giving me instruction now i can let that irritate me because i'm not a type a personality i am happy go lucky let's just you know let's have fun let's just 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 roll with it sort of thing and she's very detail oriented like it's a funny story we were down in texas working I am, uh, I'm in the kitchen, uh, during either after service or during, during one of the church services, ready, getting ready for this meal that's about to happen. I'm in, I'm in the kitchen cooking. She goes to take something out to the car, out to our car, realizes that the tire is flat. What does she do? She doesn't come in and say, Hey, sweetie, would you after church, you know, like we have a flat tire, so that's going to need change. No, she opens, pops the trunk, takes the spare out, cranks, you know, crank, um, lip, uh, jack, yes, thank you. I'm thinking, <laughs> see, I'm not mechanically mine. Uh, jacks the car up, is in the midst of changing the tire. The assistant pastor goes over, it was in two separate buildings, this is the fellowship hall from the church. He's going over to the church to see if they're about to wrap things up. He notices Vanessa is changing the tire, and he come, and he comes in and says, you know, your wife's changing the tire out there. I'm like, she would, she would. And in many times she had that car in college. Some be, uh, she needs something fixed on it. Spark plugs was one thing. Oh, she, she loved to, to work on the car. She'd be out there in front of her dorm fixing it. And I'd see her, I'd be on my way to, you know, lunch or something. I'd stop by and I was, then I'd be, you know, try to be the knight in shining armor. Like, I'll fix it. I'll look at this thing. Like, I don't got anything. I don't know what, you know. So then I call my buddy over who knows something about cars and sooner or later he's starting to fix it. And she, she didn't let me know this at the time, but she would be like disappointed or at the very least disappointed. She, she was upset. She wanted to work on her car. So if there was anything broken on her car after that, she took it off campus, you know, away from me. So I couldn't see it. So I couldn't ruin her day. But God is, and so many times there's different things that God has gifted us with that so in the complete, there, that spouse is meant to fill something a void in, in us. But then they complement us in things that we're really good at. They bring us down and, and, balance, and we balance each other out. Like the wife will say, he is such a workaholic. And he's like, well, I have to be in order to keep up with the, uh, keep our family in the black for all the family trips you want to take us on. The wife wants to spend time as a family. Like she's very time oriented and wanting to establish relationships. And he's like, I'm just going to work. And they bounce it. There needs to be a bounce between that. Yes, he needs to go to work, but he also needs to leave work at work and come home and have a relationship with his family. And likewise, wife, not every trip has to be to Disneyland. So she can, they need to come together and compliment each other. And she's spending a lot of money. He's working a lot, balance each other out, and let's find a, a happy medium, if you would. But God created us to find that, to complement each other. And I got two minutes left, so I'm going to try and go through this last point real quick. Let, sorry, let me, let me read Ephesians 5, 20, 21 real quick. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, talking about a man and a wife, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And, uh, of course, it goes on to talk about wives submit your husbands. Husbands, submit to your wives. Love them as Christ loved the church. Now, when I talk about 
they may have strengths more than the man. She may have a strength better than the man. He may have a strength better than hers, so and so forth. But let me make a, a note here. This does not apply to specific roles that God has plainly laid out in his word. I.e., just because she may be a better spiritual leader does not mean that that negates the man's role as a spiritual leader of your home. So those, so if that makes sense, just because she may be better at something than you are, but if God has commanded you to fulfill that role, you don't pass it off to her. You keep the specific things that God has create, commanded us to, and you can ask, you ask for her help. You say, hey, honey, I'm thinking about doing family devotions. How can I make this interesting for the kids? That sort of thing. Now, let me read you one quick quote, and I'll, I'm not going to get through it. Now I know how pastor feels. All right. Um, this comes from a book uh, written by um, the author of The Five Lo- Love Languages. He wrote a book called Cherished. And he says, a cherishing marriage is built on intimate. Let me see if I have this quote. Yep. A cherishing marriage is built on an intimate understanding, not stereotypical assumptions. Meaning this, ladies, just because every other man is like this, he may not be the typical man. So get to know him and know his differences that God has made specifically for you. And vice versa, husbands. She may not want a purse for her birthday. She may want a tool set. You know, um, know your spouse and don't respond. Don't treat them in the way you think every other woman would want to be or based on previous relationships. Your spouse is different for a reason. And then, you know what? Real quick, let me give you this last last blank, okay? It is for is different for a, a specific calling, not a catastrophe. And um, God has placed us on earth to serve Him. God's main goal for for everything that He created was to bring Him glory, was to glorify Him. Therefore, if our so God has given you and your spouse a specific tool set, a specific character, characteristics for serving him. Now, I'm not just talking like, you know, for, full, for full-time ministry. Like God has given Pastor Shut and Miss Nikki a specific, um, made them different and made them specifically for the service as a pastor and pastor's wife. He may be calling you and your wife to serve in a specific way. And God has gifted each and every one of you something you're sp- giving you a spouse to complete you and to compliment you to serve him, whether that's in a junior church, whether that's just in your neighborhood, whether that's just in your family. Remember, God gave Adam and Eve to one thing. Your spouse, the day you said, I do, your spouse became your number one ministry. And we should be asking ourselves on a regular basis, what am I doing to help my spouse get closer to God. Like uh, pastors draw, draw the triangle of the two couples coming together. God has given you each something to help you lift each other up, to exhort each other, to help you, to build you together, to help build each other to get closer to God. So ask yourself on a regular basis, what am I doing to help my spouse 
get closer to God. Too often, Satan will get into the mind of one or both of the couples of the spouses and magnify a difference in a negative way, which leads to wounds, a rift in the marriage, uh, where you're just cohabitating and you, you you're just you're still wearing your wedding rings, but you're not married in it in any sense of the word, and could even lead to divorce. Satan could even magnify differences to cause a rift in you to lead to divorce. And God says, I made you different so that you could complete each other, so that you could complement each other, so you could come together and serve me the way that I intended you, the way I created you. So I hope that was a help to you this morning. Sorry I kept you a few minutes late, but um, I really wanted to get to that last point of making sure, noticing those differences, God created them for a reason so that we could serve him. And how are we helping that, our spouse, to get closer to God by working on those differences in a, in the right way, in the, uh, in a positive sense, not pointing out differences in a negative way that Satan would want us to do to cause distractions, cause a uh, rift in our marriage.